Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. We've got a great show planned for you. In segment three, Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter, will join us to discuss the devastating injury to New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady and how the injury will affect not only the Patriots, but the entire league. Brady is one of the faces of the NFL, and this will not only affect what happens on the field, but it will also affect the league's many business interests, including their marketing efforts and potentially even some of the TV broadcasts. We'll catch up in segment three with Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports. In segment four, Doug Ullman. The president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation will join us. Armstrong, the seven-time Tour de France champion, made news this week when he announced that at age 37 he is coming out of retirement to race again. What will this mean to Armstrong's philanthropic efforts and his fight against cancer? We'll discuss that with a man who works very closely with Lance Armstrong in segment four of our show. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Good show planned ahead. Boy, I think the NFL season comes down to three knees. Tom Brady's, Sean Merriman of the Chargers, who also is out for the season now, and Peyton Manning, who didn't look like himself in week one. We'll see, and we'll talk about that with Charles Robinson coming up in segment three. But we've got lots of headlines coming up next. How about those U.S. Open TV ratings? Some were good. Some were bad. We'll discuss. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady's season-ending knee injury has dramatic consequences, not just for the Patriots, Nathan, but for all of the NFL. Brady is one of the the Mount Rushmore faces for the NFL. I would say it's Brady, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, and maybe LaDainian Tomlinson now as the four faces on the NFL's Mount Rushmore. Brady goes away. Not only does it affect the Patriots and their marketing, but also the NFL from which games are going to be on TV. Don't forget there's the flex schedule later in the year, so some of the Patriots games may go away. Also, uh, ticket resale and 
a Patriots ticket isn't nearly as hot without Tom Brady as it is with Tom Brady. Well, yeah, now that Brett Favre is back this season, the NFL's got to be breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief because you have one of the marquee, legendary quarterbacks still in the game. And you have to wonder if Brett Favre had stuck around with the Green Bay Packers a little bit longer and then became a free agent, would he be uh, being sought after by the New England Patriots, maybe the quarterback for that team? Last year, the four highest-rated games of the year on TV featured the Patriots, and then ticket brokers this week indicated that resale prices for tickets to Patriots games dropped 25% even before the news that Brady was done for the season came down. So again, we're going to talk in depth about all of this, the NFL and Tom Brady and everything else with Charles Robinson. That's coming up in our next segment. Our next headline, ESPN's Monday Night Football off to a good start. Vikings-Packers was the first game of the doubleheader. They drew a 9.3 cable rating, about 12.5 million viewers. That's up 8.1% from last year. And then the Raiders and the Broncos, that game was up 12.8% from last year. So good start for ESPN. These were two of the highest-rated events on cable TV, all of cable TV, not just ESPN for 2008 so far. Good start for the NFL. Well, yeah, and you have to wonder, at least I wondered when I saw these numbers come out, would these numbers for Monday Night Football, especially the Packers-Vikings game, been higher had Brett Favre been returning in a Packers jersey as opposed to Aaron Rodgers? Probably, but, uh, you know, I'm sure CBS is happy with the numbers they got last weekend with Brett Favre, and this weekend, Brett Favre is playing the Patriots, and Let me just throw this out there, and I know that Peter King from Sports Illustrated brought this up, so I won't steal what he said, but wouldn't it have been interesting if Brett Favre had taken Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL's advice, and stayed retired until the season started, then unretired? I think we'd be looking at Brett Favre as a patriot right now. You can't tell me that the Patriots wouldn't have tried everything in their their playbook to get a deal done for Brett Favre. Favre with the Patriots throwing to Moss, who he tried to get in Green Bay a few years ago. That would have been interesting. But listen, the NFL is wide open now with injuries to Tom Brady, Sean Merriman, and Peyton Manning looks very human after one game. Our next headline, the NFL this week said that Bengals wide receiver, I'm going to say it, Chad Ochocinco, who last month legally changed his name from Chad Johnson, will not be permitted to wear his new surname on his jersey until several issues are resolved. Ocho Singo's number 85 jersey during last Sunday's Bengals-Ravens game had the name Johnson on the back, and the league's official play-by-play sheet referred to him as Johnson. Now, Roger Goodell says he's legally changed his name, so we're willing to recognize that. There's what I call more administrative issue that has to be dealt with. There's a large inventory of jerseys that are out there with 85 Johnson. Any player that changes the number or changes his name has to address that so our licensing is not stuck with a large inventory. That's just something we're dealing with. So it sounds like, Nathan, Ocho Cinco on the back of these jerseys will happen uh, before the year's end. Reebok will get those new inventories in. And let's not forget that players get a cut of their jersey sales. So if Ocho Cinco becomes one of the hottest-selling jerseys, 
Chad Ochocinco is going to be a rich man. Well, it's like Ron Mexico, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, I mean, the funny thing about this is I wonder if Chad Johnson knows that Ochocinco is not the correct way to say 85 in Spanish. What is it? Uh, gosh, you're asking the wrong guy, <laughs> but it's not Ochocinco, that's for sure. Well, maybe we'll have to get him some uh, Spanish lessons. But look, he doesn't care as long as he uh, – what's the word for money in Spanish? Dinero. dinero. Yeah, he's going to have a lot of dinero after he sells uh, these jerseys. Our next headline, CBS earned a 2.55 Nielsen rating for Monday's coverage of the U.S. Open, the men's final in which Roger Federer defeated Andy Murray for his fifth consecutive U.S. Open. Nathan, just a screwed-up schedule for the U.S. Open. This game was played at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. on the West Coast on Monday. It was not Federer Nadal like most people wanted to see. The ratings for the men's final was down, but for Serena Williams and the ladies' final, which took place in what would have normally been the men's final time slot, those ratings were up big time from last year. 57% a ratings increase for the women's final, which, again, normally takes place on a Saturday, but this year took place on a Sunday in the men's final time slot. So Serena Williams and the women come out ahead. The men come out on the the bad end of the stick. Well, the women's doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, prime time on a Saturday night really, for especially for tennis, is not that great. People are out. People are doing things. Sunday is just a key time slot. And again, no surprise there for the men. You called it last week, or, or I guess last weekend. He's playing Andy Murray. He's not playing Rafael Nadal. And frankly, even if he was playing Nadal, I, th- I still think this would have been 25% down, 30% down from last year because it's not Tiger Woods. They're not watching golf on Monday. They've got to make contingency plans with the weather at the U.S. Open. It seems like every year there's problems, there's delays in plays, they're, they're cramming matches in. You don't want your marquee match, your men's finals match taking place in the middle of the workday on a Monday. They start too late. They start way too late in the afternoon. They need to start earlier. It's a nightmare, so we'll see what happens. But one final note on the U.S. Open. Uh, USA, after 25 years, they will no longer be carrying the U.S. Open starting next year. ESPN has it. Uh, John McEnroe is probably going to move over to the network. Hopefully some of the other fine people will move over as well. Well, and kudos to Ted Robinson. I've worked with Ted Robinson for a number of years. He's a fantastic commentator, and uh, they made a great team and will continue to make a great team at Wimbledon and the French Open. Yeah, that'll be good. So ESPN's basically going to have most of the coverage of tennis from here on out. So we'll see how that goes. Our last headline, it is official. We weren't with you last week, but the Seattle Supersonics are now the Oklahoma City Thunder, and tickets are such a hot item that season ticket sales might be capped sometime very soon. Most of the Ford Center's 19,200 seats are already gone. Nathan, this is a far cry from the attendance in Seattle. So if you're looking for a positive, the honeymoon period is on in Oklahoma City, and people there are happy to have NBA basketball, and they're selling tickets like wildfire. They're also selling a lot of merchandise. Oh, tons of merchandise, you know, and the website, the web traffic over the last weekend received roughly 500,000 visits so far. So, I mean, this is really not a surprise. A brand new team, Oklahoma City, doesn't really have anything else going on. Here's an NBA franchise right there in the city. So we'll see how it goes. I do not like the name, and I really don't like the logo. It's better than the wind. Well, it's better than the wind, but, I mean, they could have come up with something better than the Thunder, and this was the worst-kept secret in the history of secrets. This thing was out like a month ago. It was on uh, other teams' schedules. It was on the NBA.com website. Can anyone keep a secret anymore besides uh, 
politicians, I guess. And then the logo looks like the New York Liberty. I mean, it basically looks like they just stuck thunder in there instead of Liberty. It's almost the same colors. So, boy, it's a sad, sad day for Seattle Supersonic fans because now the page has really been turned with a new identity for their former Sonics in Oklahoma City. Coming up next, Charles Robinson. He's with Yahoo Sports. He's their NFL reporter. We're going to catch up with him and talk about the devastating injury of Tom Brady and how that affects the league and how it affects the Patriots. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back, and I'm joined by Charles Robinson. He's been a guest on this show many times. He's with yahoosports.com. He's their NFL writer. Charles, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Brian. Busy, busy start to the NFL season, and not necessarily a good one. Um, Tom Brady goes down with the season-ending knee injury. How serious is the knee injury? Because I'm reading this week that it may be an ACL and an MCL. How long is he going to be gone? Well, it actually, you know, having the MCL injury complicates it a little bit. It isn't, from what I understand, is an ACL and an MCL. And the reason is you can't really repair that ACL until the MCL heals. And the, the MCL healing process usually takes uh, between four and eight weeks. I mean, an, an average would probably be about six weeks. So, uh, he's going to have to go under the knife, wait about six weeks for that MCL to heal enough for them to go into that knee and repair the ACL. And then once the ACL is repaired, you're probably looking at, from a super optimistic standpoint, you know, six months, which isn't really likely, but it's usually about six months to 12 months. You're probably looking at about a nine-month range once he finally has uh, that ACL repaired. So if you figure project, uh, you know, six weeks from now, you're thinking the start of November, and then, you know, go nine nine months from then, that's really when you're probably looking at Tom Brady returning to the field and practicing again. Now, Tom Brady's 31 years old, uh, you know, so he's not old, but he's not a spring chicken right. either. Uh, how do you think he's going to be able to come back from this injury? Well, it's, you know, two ligaments, is it's worse than one. There's no doubt. I mean, you talk about, just think about Dante Culpepper, who was a guy who had a full knee cut. He had an, an ACL and MCL and a PCL. Um, that's a devastating injury. That was for Dante Culpepper. And granted, you're talking about a guy whose who's mobility played into it. That was really um, a career-altering and maybe even a career-ending injury for him. He was never the same after that. For Tom Brady, obviously it's different. You know, he's not a mobility guy, but you're still talking about a guy who, you know, you got to plant to throw. You have to have strength in those knees. 
Um, I, I still do not believe it's something that's going to be career-altering for him simply for the fact that, you know, a, a lot of what Tom Brady does, you know, he does with his head. He's got a, a good arm. He does not have a great arm. You're not talking about an all-world arm. But he knows the system so well in New England. He knows where, you know, to put the ball. He's been there, obviously, his entire career. Knows the system. I think, I, I, and I think really Tom Brady has been the guy who has been smart enough, adept enough at, at picking up changes and wrinkles to make this go. And, and I think part of that is evidenced, evidenced in, you know, you see Charlie Weiss leave, and I think the bloom is off of Charlie Weiss. Now the bloom is once again on, on Jeff McDaniels, their current offensive coordinator. Well, what's, what's the factor that didn't change between those guys? It's Tom Brady. So I, I still think the fact that he's so far mentally ahead of the game uh, where it concerns the quarterback position and really the spread offense that they run that he can return, you know, with with a somewhat weaker, you know, knee. He may have to wear a brace on it in his last few years in the league. Maybe not right when he comes back, but I think this is something that, you know, for him because of his abilities won't be career altering. I was saying earlier in the show if I had my Mount Rushmore of current NFL players, it would be Brady, Peyton Manning, Ladanian Tomlinson and Brett Favre. Obviously, Brady is so tied into not only what the league does, but also what the Patriots do right. marketing-wise. How is this going to affect how people look at the league? I mean, you know, in a different sport, Tiger Woods, he's not playing right now. I can tell you personally, I'm not watching nearly right. as much golf because he's not playing. Are people going to tune out because Tom Brady's not playing? Well, I, the thing about the NFL is, uh, you know, they, they've been very good at spinning the, the whole quote-unquote parody angle in the NFL. And when... Um, you know, I think uh, the one thing about Park Avenue when you talk about the NFL, they're good at taking maybe what looks like a bad situation and painting it in, a, in another manner. They're going to look at the AFC right now and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you're talking about the Patriots who won the AFC East now five straight years. All of a sudden, Brett Favre is in, you know, he's in New York with the Jets. And, you know, Chad Pennington's in with the Dolphins and, Hey, you know what? The Buffalo Bills—they uh, had a pretty commanding, uh, you know, win in the season opener. This is a conference that all of a sudden is up for grabs. Um, I think they—they they look at it as an opportunity to to generate maybe a little more interest in in the AFC, particularly with the fact that the Colts lost coming out. And all of a sudden, you look at the AFC and you say, "Hey, who's the favorite there? You know, who comes out?" And that I think, from the NFL standpoint, they're good at pushing that whole idea of. Um, you know, generating interest in other markets and that whole competitive atmosphere. And then also they can even shift that to the NFC and say, hey, is Dallas now all of a sudden the elite team in the NFL? Is that the team to beat when you're talking about, you know, the, the Super Bowl picture? So, yeah, it's, it's when you take a marquee face, a cornerstone face, a quote-unquote, you know, as you would say, a Mount Rushmore face off of the league, it can be a negative, but they're also very good at always pushing that positive, and that positive always for the NFL obviously has been competition. Last note on Tom Brady. Uh, look into your crystal ball. I mean, is Tom Brady going to play in another Super Bowl, or are his best days behind him after this injury? Again, you know, Dante Culpepper had this injury. He's a much more mobile quarterback, as you said, but this is a tough one to come back from. It is. It is. But, you know, the one thing, I, I absolutely, I believe that Tom Brady will play in another Super Bowl, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that, you know, particularly when you talk about Bill Belichick and and the system they have in place, the players they bring in, you still have a lot of, I mean, their defensive line, I think, has more talent than any other defensive line in football, and a lot of those guys are, are really only in their, in their late 20s at this point. So you're talking about a window for a lot of those prime defensive players 
being four or five years. That's going to be plenty of time. And on top of that, the one thing for the Patriots, I think, that this will be a long-term benefit is last year they moved a little bit away from that, that their model of, hey, you know, we can win games 17 to 10, we can win games 17 to 14, right. we can concentrate defensively and with the running game. That kind of went out the window last year, and I and in a way, I think that's always been a little bit of a negative. When you've seen them have down years, it's when they've really emphasized that passing game. They're going to get back to Bill Belichick's basics. They've got Lawrence Maroney, Sammy Morris in the backfield. They're going to run the ball more. They're going to you know use that defense obviously to continue to put pressure on. They're going to win more of those games with Matt Castle and Randy Moss in that backfield, 17-14, and and go back to that old Patriots model. And when Tom Brady returns. I think you're going to see a little bit more balanced New England team than maybe we saw last year. I'm joined by Charles Robinson. He's with Yahoo Sports. You can read him online at yahoosports.com. He covers the NFL for them. Charles, it's funny. I was thinking this week, the NFL season kind of comes down to three knees. Tom Brady's, Sean Merriman, who (laughs) is out now, and Peyton Manning. And I saw the scar on his knee, and Peyton Manning did not look like himself in Game 1 Let's look at the rest of the AFC. You were just talking about how the AFC is wide open now. What does the Sean Merriman loss mean? And what happens if Peyton Manning doesn't regain his former, isn't the Peyton Manning that we've been accustomed to seeing? Well, you know, starting with Peyton Manning, there's no doubt Peyton Manning's injury, I think, was more severe than anyone was led to believe. You know, he, um, I think he did, even though they have not come out and admitted it, I think he did have a second surgery really to clean that knee up right before training camp Interesting. began. And, and, you know, to me, when you saw him, to be 20 pounds lighter right. when he comes out to play, that tells you immediately that, that infection in that knee, it, it took a toll on him. That's not just inactivity. You don't just lose 20 pounds on inactivity. A lot of that has to do with infection. So it was worse off than people thought, and I, and I think that that's something that's going to continue to play, at least in the first half of the season. It's, I, I think they're going to have some difficulties because he's going to be off rhythm-wise, He's not going to be 100%. What does that mean for, for you know, the Indianapolis Colts? They're still, I think, you know, they have the potential to continue to be one of the best teams in the AFC, but you know how it is. You talked about it. It comes down to those three knees. Well, if, if Peyton Manning is not at in top form, that team struggles, and I think they even struggle defensively when they can't score points immediately and put pressure on them. Sean Merriman with the Chargers, you know, you take him out of that equation, that defense is still going to be very, very good. Let's be frank about Sean Merriman. He has not really been at the top of his game. If you look at the sum of all of last year and then the beginning of this year, he's really been up and down and inconsistent. It's still going to be a very, very good defense for the Chargers. What does it mean for the rest of the AFC? Well, I think you have to look at, number one, uh, you know, look at the Denver Broncos. That offense, now granted, they opened against a very, very poor defensive team in, in the Oakland Raiders. But to see Jay Cutler play the way he did without, by far, his best weapon in Brandon Marshall, um, I, I think Denver opened some eyes. I think and isn't it be- amazing, Charles, I, I don't want to cut you off, but isn't it amazing that Jay Cutler looks like the best quarterback in that draft, better than Vince Young and, and Matt Leinart? I don't think there's any question about it at this point. You know, and you had, there, granted, there were some scouts out there that said, project this 10 years down the line, and the guy who's going to come out of this because of, not only the arm strength, which is what everyone talked about, but his leadership abilities that he had at, you know, at Vanderbilt. You know, he made Vanderbilt yeah. a, a competitive team in the SEC, which, you know, shoot, you're talking about the SEC. Um, this is going to be the guy that down the line is going to be more mentally tough than those other two. And, hey, with what's going on with Vince right now and with what's really transpired with Matt Leinart over the last 12 months, 
is there any denying who looks right now to be the more mentally tough guy, a guy who's dealing with diabetes, right. went through it last season, and yet has come out you know, looking the way that he has. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think Denver is one of those teams, Denver and maybe a Pittsburgh, that you have to look at and, and all of a sudden say, hey, these are two teams that could be in the mix. Yeah, don't sleep on Pittsburgh because, boy, Ben Roethlisberger's been there before, and they are, they're just solid on offense and defense. I want to ask you last question about Brett Favre. I mean, it's been so well documented what's going on with him this offseason. He looked good in week one, but he's got to be licking his chops right now. I mean, the AFC East is wide open, and, you know, the Jets don't have a ton of talent, but uh, I bet you he's got a much better opportunity now than he did a week ago. Well, I think he feels better about it, absolutely. I mean, I think he was nervous going into that game. You don't know what to expect when you're a guy like that switching teams after really creating your whole entire life with one franchise. It's sort of like Joe Montana going to Kansas City. What's going to happen? And, and I think even though they beat a Miami team, what he was able to do in that game, you know, uh, really command a team, uh, you know, be that, and I hate to use the cliche, but that field general that he was in Green Bay, you don't know if that's going to translate, but it really did for the Jets. They have a solid running game with Thomas Jones. I think that offensive line played, you know, a little bit better than I thought they would. And, you know, defensively they've still got some work to do. But like you said, that AFC now all of a sudden with the Brady injury, there was no way you looked at that AFC and said that's going to be a, a conference up for gra- or a division up for grabs. And now all of a sudden, it absolutely looks like it. And if you're if you're any one of those teams right now, let's be honest, who's got the best quarterback at this point? You know, Matt Castle in New England, Chad Pennington in Miami, Trent Edwards in Buffalo. I think the Jets got the best quarterback in yeah. the conference, and that counts for something. Yeah, definitely, maybe the best quarterback of all time. Just quickly, how do you think Aaron Rodgers did, and how do you think he'll do this season? Fantastic. I thought I thought he looked brilliant. I thought, um, you know, it, he showed a lot. I mean, it, it was a to me the goal line touchdown pass that he threw. It, it made me get up out of my seat because that's a that is a impossibly hard pass for him to make. Number one, number two. Um, you know, he showed emotion, he showed the ability to, to really lead that team, and he needed to come out and have a strong game, and he needed it to do it against a team like Minnesota, which is defensively strong, considered to be one of the best in the NFC. I think some people would even argue that they're a possible Super Bowl contender out of the NFC. For him to come out, really, um, you know, carry that team, and remember, they took a, a long touchdown to Greg Jennings off the board, so that game wasn't even really as close as it played out. I think he looked fantastic, and to me, after seeing the guy progress over three years, I saw him three straight off-seasons after he entered the league, and he continually got better. It shows that he's legitimate. He's a, he's a player capable of getting better, capable of rallying a team behind him, and I, I think he will do very well with the Green Bay Packers this year. Lots going on in the NFL. Charles, thanks as always for joining us. You can read Charles Robinson online at yahoosports.com. Thanks, Charles. Absolutely. Call me anytime, Brian. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods. Featuring USDA prime age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. 
With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Doug Ullman. He's the president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. He's a three-time cancer survivor himself, and he's been with the Lance Armstrong Foundation since 2001. Doug, thanks so much for making time on Sports Business Radio. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, obviously, big news this week that Lance Armstrong is going to return to competitive racing, but I get the feeling that this comeback is a lot more than just a return to competitive racing. It seems that by racing again, Lance is going to have a bigger platform in his continued fight against cancer. Do you think that's a pretty accurate assessment on my part? Absolutely. I mean, this this is um, an opportunity of a lifetime to put this disease and, and the burden that it causes our society uh, on the global stage, and uh, that's a huge motivation for uh, for Lance and what what he's uh, preparing to do. How did you first meet Lance? That's an interesting story. I was a college athlete uh, at Brown University when I was first diagnosed with cancer, and uh, there was a gentleman who was following cycling and writing for the International Herald Tribune who sent Lance an article about my story, and he uh, emailed me out of the blue. Um, and this was back in 1997, and I was not a cycling fan and didn't know much about his story, and uh, that's how we first met and started communicating. And uh, I was in the nonprofit cancer world and uh, involved in, in starting an organization. And uh, we hit, we connected, and, and uh, moved down to Austin about seven and a half years ago to help him uh, run the foundation. And then you were elevated to president of the foundation. Uh, talk about your interaction with Lance, if you would, as president of his foundation. Sure. I took over the role as president uh, in January of 2007, so about 19 months ago, and um, it's been obviously a very exciting time. I mean, uh, Lance and I are are, are very close uh, in terms of the way we communicate on a on a daily and, and usually multiple times each day, um, and and ultimately, you know, in his retirement for the last three three and a half years, um, he's been so fully engaged in in this grassroots movement that we know is live strong. Uh, and so many things have happened that, that have really elevated this disease uh, and the way we attack it uh, here in the United States. And um, we, we see a huge opportunity to do the same uh, overseas. The Lance Armstrong Foundation, my research tells me, has raised well over $265 million for cancer research. Everyone knows about the yellow Live Strong bracelets. They're commonplace all across the globe. Uh, why do you think people are so compelled to give to the Lance Armstrong Foundation as opposed to other cancer-related nonprofits? Well, you know, there are a lot of great organizations out there, many of which uh, we partner with. I think ultimately people are struck by, um, obviously, Lance's story, his own personal battle and, and comeback uh, initially, uh, and, and really his authenticity. I mean, uh, this is a grassroots organization. We have one office in Austin, Texas, and we have – thousands and hundreds of thousands of volunteers across the country and around the world who who really are the heart and soul of our organization. And, um, you know, we're about helping people and involving people and mobilizing people uh, to fight this disease. And so I think people are inspired by Lance's story, but they're also 
uh, empowered through our organization to be a part of it and to uh, and to really see the impact that they can have as individuals. You know, I'm based in Portland, so I've been to the Nike campus. I've seen the Lance Armstrong building. I've been out to a few of his Live Strong rides, and I've seen his legions of fans. And, you know, I've got to tell you, Doug, I'm sure you see it every day, but, you know, I haven't seen too many people, athlete or otherwise, that can really rally the troops like Lance can. I mean, he's really a, a motivating guy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I tell people all the time, um, I am continually amazed and inspired by his dedication. And, and obviously easy for me to say, having worked with him for many years now, um, but when I see him speak to, to 100 or 500 or thousands of people, um, the passion that he conveys and the commitment that he conveys, it still uh, affects me uh, as a cancer survivor and, and makes me want to go out and do more. And uh, obviously we're blessed with an incredible relationship uh, with Nike and, and many people in the Portland community and, and you know, in, in towns big and small across the country, people uh, want to see the eradication of this disease. And uh, it's just, it's, it's inspiring to watch. And, and for me, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to be a part of it. I'm joined by Doug Ullman. He's the president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. He's based in Austin, Texas. Uh, Doug, Lance helped lead the effort to get Proposition 15 passed in the state of Texas. The measure appropriates up to $3 billion for the Cancer Prevention Research Institute of Texas. It's the largest state anti-cancer funding program ever. Lance, you know, that's the other thing that really strikes me is, you know, I see him talking with Obama. I see him talking with the Clintons. I mean, this is a guy who transcends sports. I mean, he's a mover and shaker on the big stage. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. In the scheme of things, uh, we as an organization have been very, very successful at raising awareness and, and raising funds uh, to, to fight cancer. But ultimately, um, you know, there's a lot of leverage uh, and, and levers that we can pull and we feel like are, are very significant. And performing grassroots advocacy and and getting involved not only in Washington, D.C., but also uh, here in Austin and, and at the state level um, is something where we think we can have a big impact. And Prop 15 was uh, was an example of that. And, you know, we're seeing researchers from all over the country who are moving to Texas. Uh, they're basically following the opportunity to access those funds and, and to continue their work. And at a time when the federal budget for cancer is shrinking, um, Texas's investment uh, is all the more noteworthy. Um, so for us, it was a it was a it was a, a hard effort. Uh, it took all year last year, and uh, we were just real excited when when the results were in and the people of Texas uh, voted in favor of this. And we ultimately think it's a model uh, for other states. Do you think Lance has a career in politics uh, down the road? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I think I think I've heard him describe many times. I mean, obviously, he he always says, uh, "You never say never." Um, but I think ultimately uh, you have to he, he would have to wake up one day and think that that was the right avenue to really create significant social change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if he did that, I think he would consider it. Um, but I think right now, as an advocate, he's much more effective um, leading this grassroots movement as opposed to uh, to being an elected office. Maybe talk for a moment about how much Lance has changed since you first got to meet him. I mean, one of the things that I've seen is I've seen a guy who didn't see real comfortable in front of the camera or in, you know, big gatherings. And now he's as poised as anyone that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, he is, um, 
he does not uh, inherently sometimes display uh, the characteristics that you would uh, see in a uh, seasoned politician, uh, someone who's always out and about and shaking hands and 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 uh, and, and doing those types of things in public. Um, and I think, you know, I think he's he's grown and matured uh, over the last several years. And I've seen a, a huge uh, a change in terms of his uh, political uh, awareness and and his desire to, to impact uh, this disease at, at, a, at a political and a policy level. Um, and, you know, as with all of us, I think we just we learn over time and uh, and our experiences dictate kind of where we go in the future. And. I think with with this uh, new decision to to come back and ride again, it was the same thing. I mean, a, a huge opportunity to uh, to influence the way uh, our world uh, fights cancer. So, I mean, you've mentioned that a few times in this interview, and obviously, you know, it's a challenge big enough just to try and get people here in the United States to see how serious cancer is and get them to reach in their pocket and give. But now it seems like you're really going to target the international audience. What are your plans for? targeting uh, the people outside the borders of the United States? Well, you know, as you may have heard, you know, we're probably we're, we're most likely going to uh, uh, unveil our plans on the 24th of September in New York. Um, but but basically it it, it, it it hit us that a lot of things have happened in the last three years and, and more importantly, the last 12 months here in the States. I mean, you mentioned Prop 15. We're awaiting the introduction of major cancer legislation from Senator Kennedy and Senator Hutchison. Um, we've got 24 states in this country that are smoke-free, plus the District of Columbia. We just had a, a, a show on all three major networks last Friday, Stand Up to Cancer. I mean, both presidential candidates have come out with cancer plans. I mean, the, the disease has really been elevated. And when we look across the world, what we see is um, that this is a disease that kills more than 8 million people this year. Uh, it's a disease that still has a huge stigma associated with it. Uh, it's a disease that doesn't get a lot of attention uh, on the global scale as, as other uh, health and non-health uh, related issues. Um, and so we're starting from, from that standpoint, and, uh, and we're excited to, to kind of delve into this, and we think there's a real opportunity to change the course of this disease forever. You know, we see athletes sometimes, Michael Jordan, we're looking at Brett Favre right now, who come back and sometimes you just kind of wince and go, oh, gosh, you know, I hope they don't tarnish their reputation or I hope they don't come back and, you know, their their best days athletically are behind them. But um, does do you think Lance has any concerns about, uh, you know, what if he comes back and races and he's not the Lance that he was uh, three, four years ago? Yeah, you know, I, I, obviously he uh, he's the only one that, that knows that. Uh, for sure, and 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 uh, and I don't want to speak for him on that, but but I will tell you that that this comeback is so driven by uh, the people that we have interacted with over the last several years that that are a part of this Livestrong army and this movement. And I, last night I was up late reading uh, just all the posts on on our blog uh, at Livestrong.org and and just reading a, you know people's messages. Uh, one that stands out was a guy who is starting chemotherapy on Friday and said that this this has just totally meant the world to him in terms of how he's going to attack his treatment in the coming weeks. And, you know, when you when you see things like that and when you hear things like that every day and you meet those people, um, you realize that, uh, well, at least from my perspective, there's no um, there's no possible uh, or possibility of, of tarnishing any uh, 
uh, of any legacy. In fact, it, it, it will only strengthen that. Well, I'll tell you a story. I don't even know if you've heard it, but here in Portland at one of the Livestrong rides, there was a woman, I'd guess she was in her 40s. She had terminal cancer. She literally, her family said she kept herself alive just long enough to meet Lance. And Lance met her at the race, and she took probably 10 steps with her family's assistance, met Lance, and literally that next week died. And her family again said that she stayed alive because of her will to meet Lance. I mean, that was so powerful to me. I don't think I'd seen too many things as powerful as that before. It's it's um, it's continually inspiring, and you think about, you know, doing that for one person would be enough, um, and yet doing that for for hundreds and thousands and, and millions of people around the world um, is, is so much more. And so, uh, I will tell you, as somebody who's been in this world and, and who's a cancer survivor, hearing stories like that never gets never gets old. Um, unfortunately, however, in the future. Uh, that woman uh, should still be with us. Right. And, uh, and I think that's what motivates all of us at the foundation. And, and we know that, uh, that there are brighter days ahead for, for people who are affected by this disease. Doug, just a few more questions. Um, with Lance out of the spotlight in the last few years, how did that affect donations to LAF? Did they not really miss a beat or were they down a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We didn't miss a beat. Uh, the organization continues to grow. Uh, when I moved to Austin, we had uh, three employees. We now have 73 employees. Um, we continue to grow, and, and in fact, Lance's uh, retirement allowed him to spend much more time uh, with the foundation uh, on a daily basis, and, and ultimately things like Prop 15 and, and other activities would not have been possible without his uh, you know, real strong engagement. What can we look for in the future? You know, Nike's partnership, again, has been fantastic. We all know about the yellow wristbands. I know about the Live Strong shoes and apparel and the line that they sell with proceeds going to the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Are there other companies that are stepping up as Nike has, and what should we look for with some of these other partners in the future? Yeah, you know, obviously you have to give Nike credit for so much of this because they've been such a strong supporter. And you mentioned the, the, the new apparel line, the Live Strong Collection, um, you know, from my standpoint as a, a, an executive of a nonprofit, um, it's never I've never seen a company step up the way Nike has in terms of you know, donating 100 uh, percent of their profits from that line to the foundation. And, and for that, we're grateful. And what we've seen is um, the strong uh, cause marketing brand uh, awareness of Livestrong and, and Lance himself uh, is, is really driving other companies to want to get involved and uh, whether it's our partnership with American Century Investments um, or our um, partnership with Oakley uh, Sunglasses. I mean, we are very fortunate to have the support of so many great companies, um, and we look forward to, to more in the future. Doug, I think you personally have a tremendous story. I know Lance has an amazing story, and I'll tell you, I'm rooting for you guys, and I, I wish you the best of luck in the future. Well, I appreciate it, and I think, thanks for having me on, and uh, it's going to be exciting. Okay, we'll catch up with you soon. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. 
This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. A survey by Octagon's first call, which cited responses from nearly 500 marketing executives, revealed that cyclist Lance Armstrong, with his Livestrong Foundation, which we just discussed, is the most influential celebrity when it comes to cause marketing and supporting not-for-profit organizations. Golfer Tiger Woods in his Learning Center ranked fourth in the survey, while Colts quarterback Peyton Manning and the Payback Foundation ranked 10th. Also, one other note, EA Sports announced this week it has grossed $133.5 million in retail sales from the Madden NFL 09 game since its August 12th release. That's a 6% increase from last year. The total also beat out the domestic grosses for all of the major movies topping box office charts during August, including Tropic Thunder, which pulled in $83.9 million, and Pineapple Express, which pulled in $79.9 million. So when you put it in that perspective, boy, Madden NFL 09 has made a lot of money. A lot of thank yous for this week. Charles Robinson from YahooSports.com. Doug Ullman, the president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Learn more about them at Livestrong.org. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous weekend. We'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports Business radio sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports robert sarver the owner of the phoenix suns when people come to a suns game what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them we want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave the co-owner of the sacramento kings gavin maloof gavin thanks for joining me my pleasure brian how are you dr miles brand the president of the ncaa sports business radio Saturday. that's why you're a smart business person <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com <laughs>